and the church that are not yet ready, they are not prepared for what is about to happen. They are not prepared for what God is about to do. Praise God. So even though both of them had, uh, both groups had the same opportunity, yet it was one of this group that prepared themselves very well. The Bible says that the wise, they took both oil in their vessels and with their lamps. Whereas the foolish only grabbed their lamps and they went out without any preparation for the future. Praise God. Without any preparation for the, the, the virtue that keeps the lamp going. That is the oil. Praise God. So we learned last week that the ones, the, the ones that were wise, they had vision for the future. So what they decided to go for first was the oil. Because without, we emphasize that without the oil, the lamp will not give light. Praise God. And so it takes the oil to enable the lamp to give light. So minus the oil, there won't be any light. You can put the fire, but trust me, it's just a matter of time. The fire will be put out again. Praise God. Hallelujah. But then the biggest problem was in verse 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, while the bridegroom tarry, they all, they slumber and slept. And let me take it from there, in fact. They slumber and they slept. And this is one thing that we should be paying attention to this end time. There's a lot of spiritual slumbering and spiritual sleeping. And I, I, I make mention about the five senses. That some of our senses are very, very dysfunctional while we're sleeping. Praise God. And it is a very, very dangerous experience. A lot of people die during fire disaster, not because they were burned, but because of smoke alienation. Praise God. And there are many other issues and things that happen. Especially when you're sleeping, you, you cannot hear everything that is happening around. You cannot see everything that is happening around. You cannot feel everything that is happening around. Why? Because your senses are quenched when you're sleeping. They are there, but they are not functional. They are not effective as the way they ought to. Praise God. And so the Bible says, while they slumber and they slept, in fact, that was when their light went out. Those that were foolish. Praise God. Now, let me say this to you before we proceed. If you looked at your Bible very well from Genesis to Revelation, you know, you see that there are many instances. I gave you some example about Matthew chapter 13, verse 25 to 30, that the Bible says, while men slept, the Bible says the enemy came in and saw in tears. That was very, very dangerous and destructive. And at the end of which the Bible says, the master said, let the wheat and the tears grow together. Anytime you sleep, you give space. The Bible, in fact, says, give no space to the enemy so that you will not fulfill the lust thereof. Because anytime you give him space, for you to get rid of him it will be much more impossible. Almost impossible. Put it that way. Praise God. And even if you are going to get rid of him, it will cost you. Praise God. And this was what happened. Jesus, the servant said, Okay, master, let's go and, and separate the wheat from the tears. And the master said, he said, you can't do it. It's a tough job. It's a difficult job. There's a common saying, logically, they said uh, uh, prevention is better than cure. So it's best to prevent it from happening than allowing it to happen. And then you want to begin to struggle. In fact, let me say this to you. If you tolerate the enemy, praise God, the time that you would have taken to, 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 to maintain your life and to improve yourself and to increase yourself, that's the years of your life that you will spend to deal with what you've accommodated, deal with what you've tolerated. Praise God. We talked about many that have slept in sin. They slept because of worldly activities. They, they've slept because of, of the, the, the pressures of this life. And there are those who are even sleeping right now. Sleeping spiritually, sleeping maritally, sleeping morally, Sleeping personally, sleeping uh, uh, socially, sleeping in many areas or aspects of our lives. And so many times, take note of this now, let me shock you. Many times when you are asleep, things happen unknowingly to you. Things happen unknowingly to you. Remember I said your five senses are quenched while you are at sleep. Praise God. So things happen unknowingly to you. When you are asleep, things happen surprisingly to you. Things happen accidentally to you when you are sleeping. Praise God. Things happen mistakenly to you. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I remember those days in my spiritual life. I'm not talking about that right now because God has moved me beyond that stage. 
I have grown beyond that. But in those days, I can assess my spiritual life based on the level of my sleeping, the way I sleep. In those days, when I was a youth, you know, and I was serving the Lord in those days as a young man, as a youth, I remember very well that I can still close my eyes and I will be sleeping, but whatever that is happening around me, I will know, even though I will be sleeping. Can you imagine that? I'll be sensitive. If people, will be, if people come around, they're talking, I'll know. And the moment they come close, I'll be up. I'll wake up. <laughs> I was so sensitive. Those are the days where if, if there's anything going wrong, it's just for me to just go to bed. If I lay my head on your pillow, I can tell you who you are. Praise God. I can see a lot of things. I can observe a lot of things. If God is, is about to push something into my spirit, as soon as I lay my head on the bed, I will receive. I'll know. Praise God. But God has not been dealing with me in that level anymore. Those were in those days. But as of now, he's dealing with me in a different level. I've grown beyond that. Praise God. It's just an example for you to know and understand. So when we talk about sleep, sleep is good. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord gives good sleep or sweet sleep to his servant. Don't get me wrong. But when the Bible talks about sleep and slumber here, it's talking about backsliding. It's talking about losing your first love. He's talking about straying away from the things of God. He's talking about you following the Lord afar off, like what happened to Peter. The Bible said that Peter, that was boasting and shouting, Lord, I will, I will even go to prison with you. Now he was following afar off. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may have, uh, uh, have slowed down in your spiritual height. Where before you used to be fasting, you used to be praying, or prayerful, you used to be that committed. But now you're not as committed as you should. In fact, what you realize now is that you're going down the drain. And you, your spiritual level has been reduced to certain height that you never anticipated. Praise God. Hallelujah. There are those that have the grace of God upon their life and yet they are sleeping. They have anointing. They are sleeping. They have the calling of God. They are sleeping. Praise God. They have the giftings of God. They are sleeping. They have a lot of physical as well as spiritual opportunities that God bestowed upon their lives, and yet they are sleeping. And in the midst of that sleeping, take note now, that is when you begin to blame God. When you're sleeping spiritually, you begin to give a lot of excuses. When you're sleeping spiritually, spiritual things are not interesting, they are not important, and they are not counted as value to you whenever you're sleeping spiritually. When you're sleeping spiritually, a man of God will stand and say the truth, and you get easily angry. Praise God. You just get angry why? because the truth may be offensive to you. That is spiritual slumber and sleep. Praise God. A word of God will come for you and you're not convicted anymore. It's like pouring water on the back of a dog. Praise God. The word of God will come. You will hear. You will understand. You know what it meant, but you just brush it. You know, it's like whatever, whatever. You've lost conviction. That is sleeping spiritually. You've lost your first love. You've lost your zeal. Praise God. And in the midst of that, take note now. Whew, I want to show you something. Very deep. When you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the men of God who slept, they suffer casualties. In other words, the men of God and women of God that slept the time that they ought not to be sleeping, they suffer casualties. Some of them even died. Praise God. Some of them were hurt by the enemy. That is what we read from Matthew 13, 25 to 30, that while men slept, the enemy came in. And many times, even in our spiritual life, the devil used that as an opportunity to attack. Whenever we're sleeping, the devil will use that as an opportunity to launch into our families, launch into our churches, launch into our personal life, launch into our health, launch into our marriages, launch into our finances. Whenever we are asleep, the devil will take advantage of you. I'll give you an example. Samson. Samson was committing sin and living a life of sin not until the Bible says he kept sleeping on the lap of Delilah. Praise God. He kept sleeping and that was, that was, listen, him committing the sin was a problem. But not just for him to commit the sin, but for him to commit the sin and sleep on the lap of Delilah makes him a victim. I'm going to say that again. Something committing the sin or being living a life of sin was a problem. But what makes the problem more terrible and worse was that he don't just committed a sin against God with Delilah. 
but he was sleeping in the lap of Delilah. Take note now. What was he doing? He was gaining comfort from the lap of Delilah, the wrong place. Praise God. Not only that, he was putting his life on the hand of Delilah, the wrong place again. He made himself vulnerable. As I said, when you are sleeping, many things happen unknowingly to you. Sudden things happen. You become vulnerable. You are hurt whenever you are asleep because you don't know what is happening around you. Praise God. So even though he had several conversations with Delilah, nothing happened. God showed his mercies and his grace and all of that. But then after he explained himself, the secrets were revealed as to where his covenant and his might, the strength were. And then the Bible says he laid his head on the lap of Delilah, not on the pillow. In other words, he made himself vulnerable, sleeping in the, on the laps of Delilah. Where do you lay your head? Where do you sleep at night? Physically, where do you spend the night? Praise God. Not only that, spiritually, where, where or upon what or who do you lay your life? You lay your destiny on. Who do you lay your destiny upon? Praise God. Who do you lay your future? What do you do? You know, when, when listen, oh my goodness. Samson took his strength. He took his covenant. Take note now, I'm saying deep things. He took his strength. He took his covenant that he had with God. Praise God. He took all that God bestowed upon him and laid all of that on the lap of Delilah. He slept. You know what he was doing? He had confidence in his sin. He had confidence in his sinful practices. He had confidence. The Bible says that we should cast not our confidence in man. He had confidence in the life of a wicked woman. And you know what happened? When he slept on the lap of Delilah, Delilah shaved his head. Delilah took away his glory when he was asleep. So while he was sleeping, he was being destroyed. While he was sleeping, he was being shaved. While he was sleeping, he was being disarmed. While he was sleeping, his glory was removed. While he was sleeping, his strength was removed. While he was sleeping, the fire, the might, that potential that caused him to beat the Philistines was removed. So, listen now, at this time he was unconscious. He was unconscious. What happened to you when you are unconscious? What do you do? Or what, what have you lost? In that moment, or on, on that particular moment, wherein you were vulnerable, you were unconscious, it's like you go to the doctor now, and the doctor says, lay down, let me check you. And before you know, they put something on some oxygen or whatever it is, and you're gone. <laughs> you're there. They can do whatever they want to do with you. Because why? You are at their disposal or in their hands. Praise God. So that was exactly what happened because Samson fell on the lap of this woman and he slept. So the Bible says in Matthew 13, 25 to 30, while men slept, the enemy came in so tears. Now take note of this now. In the case of Samson, he went there. The enemy didn't go to him. He was the one that went to Delilah. So while he slept, what happened? The enemy disarmed him. The enemy took away from him that which God gave to him. Take note of this now. That which God gave to him was what the enemy took away from him while he was sleeping. Listen, St. John 10, 10, I emphasized that last week. The devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He will always come to take away from you whenever you're sleeping. Praise God. Hallelujah. Not only that, the Bible says in the book of Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, that there was another incident with two women. Hallelujah. You remember that case? That was the very first time they were able, the children of Israel were able to validate the wisdom of Solomon. Two women, the Bible says they slept, they had their kids, and one of them overlaid the child, and the child died. Praise God. And then, while that child died, 
The Bible says she woke up and realized that her child died. So what happened? The other lady was sleeping. She switched the babies. Praise God. Gave her the dead child and took her friend's child. And they brought the case to Solomon. Now take note of this, beloved. She slept and overlaid on the child. And the child died. That's one part of it. The second part of it is that while her friend was sleeping, take note of this now, she switched the, 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 the children, the kids, switched them. So two, two things, major things happened there. Number one, because of sleeping, she killed her baby. She rolled over her, squeezed her to death. Maybe she was overweight or chubby, I don't know. But that was what the scripture said. That she overlaid on her baby and slept and then killed the child. May I ask you a question? What is it that God gave to you that you have overlaid upon and you have killed that thing? What is it that God gave to you that is so powerful that has to do with your destiny that is so mighty and great that could have profited both you and your family or the nations at large but because of sleep and slumber you kill that thing that thing was destroyed God gave you an anointing God gave you a gift gave you a calling fire upon your head but the time that you should be be cultivating that calling, cultivating that grace and the fire of God upon your life, you were busy sleeping with the gift and by the time you know, time beat you up. You lost it. You lost grace. You lost the virtue. You lost the anointing. You lost the fire. While men slept, the enemy can ma manipulate and perform. So she slept on her baby, killed this little child, and what happened? When she realized that her friend also was sleeping. So you see, take note of this. The problem was sleeping. Praise God. And as a result of her sleeping, she killed her baby. Now, as a result of her friend sleeping, now she moved on to switch the, 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 the children. So she switched her child to the other woman's child. And when the woman woke up, she realized, that's not my baby. This is not my child. But what can she do? Cry for help. And they took the case to Solomon. And Solomon looked at them and says, wow. Okay. Whose baby is this? The wicked woman said, that's my baby. The owner of the child said, that's my baby. And then Solomon says, really? Who should I trust? And both of them began to cry. My baby, my baby, my baby. And Solomon says, okay, bring me a sword. I'm going to divide it into two. Since the child belongs to both of you, you have one part of the child. The other one will have the other part. And then this wicked woman that overlaid on her baby was saying, yes, yes, no problem. What was her intention? That both of them would be on the same level of sorrow, the same level of shame, the same level of pain. You see what sleep can cause. Her heart was not right. And Solomon looked at the, the passion to which she was celebrating and rejoicing that this baby should be teared into two. And cut apart, giving to each, each one of them a piece. And the, the other woman looked at this King Solomon and said, Sir, give her my baby. Let her live. Don't let her die. I wish I'm speaking to Christian leaders. The thing that God is pouring upon me right now regarding that baby. Hmm. I wish I could speak to Christian leaders concerning their church members and what we do and how we deal with them. Praise God. But let's don't go there because if we go there now, it's going to be <laughs> another kind of journey. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we'll see that both group of, of virgins were asleep at the same time. That was when the five foolish, the Bible says, they lost their oil. They lost their lamp, I mean. And the light went out. The Bible talks about uh, a woman by the name of Jael that killed a man of war 
by the name of Caesarea, praise God, in Judges chapter 4. He was running away from his enemies and then he ran into the house of this woman and this woman hid him there and he was tired, he was exhausted. The woman said, don't worry, cover yourself, lay down well. Oh, you can sleep, you are safe in my house. At my hand, nothing will go wrong. The Bible says while he was changing gears, while he was sleeping, the woman picked up a hammer and a very sharp long nail on his temple. She killed him. Take note of this now. The man that his enemies could not kill, the man that other men could not kill, this man was killed on the bed of a woman. Why? He laid his head to sleep. And while he was sleeping, he was vulnerable. He was exposed. And she was overpowered or empowered to kill this young man, and the man died. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we see that sleeping can be deadly to you, even though it's profitable for your health, is good, but it can be destructive at the same time. Something lost his power, lost his glory. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Caesarea died in the hands of jail. Praise God. A woman exchanged her friend's baby after she overlaid her child and killed the child. And Peter, the Bible says, had an encounter. Peter, James, and John, they were sleeping. While the Bible says God in his divine power was transferring. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says Jesus was there with Peter, James, and John. And then Elijah showed up. Uh, Moses showed up. So both dispensations, the dispensations of the law and of the prophet were being transferred at that particular time. One of the most dynamic moments in the history of the church. Men of God were sleeping. These were disciples of Jesus. They were sleeping. And while they were sleeping, mysterious things were going on. And they were drunk. And Peter, fortunately for him, he could see. He saw what happened, but yet he was in between, talking nonsense. Hey, Master, be one house here for Elijah, one house here for Moses, another one for you. And no problem, we'll stay here. Jesus said, shut up, man. You're sleeping. In fact, before that happened, Jesus kept going back and forth. Why wouldn't you watch with me for an hour? They could not. They were busy sleeping. Praise God. With the anointing, they were sleeping. With the grace of God upon their life, they were sleeping. With the fire of God, they were sleeping. With their calling, they were sleeping. With, the, with, with everything. Listen, 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 listen. Thank you, Lord. It is very, very dangerous if you underestimate the power of sleep. <laughs> Ask me. I'll tell you. Because sometimes after service, I'll be driving home because of the distance, I mean, where I live. I'll be begging God, God, don't let me die on the road. <laughs> because there are some times after I came here I'll preach and I'll shout and all the wonderful things God would have done and I'm exhausted physically still with the anointing still with the grace of God and all of that and while driving I'll get to some area where you know, I'll be almost sleeping and I'll be like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping. God help me. There are sometimes, I know some of you have, will testify about this. I used to call some members and say, please, let's keep talking until I get home. Why? Working hard, exhausted, stretched, praise God, overuse of my physical body, will be tired. This was the reason why in the book of Luke at one time, Jesus asked the disciples to go away and take a break. Jesus asked them to have time for rest. It may be that for you, you are sleeping not because you intentionally want to backslide, you intentionally want to, want to stray away, but as I said on Wednesday, it may be that you are so overworked to the extent that you've been, you've been busy with the work of God and not busy with the God of the work. You are so busy to the extent that you don't even have time for God anymore and you're working for him. No more prayer, no more worship, no more Bible studies. You are always in a hurry, always on the go. Tonight we're going to pray. 
Amen. We're going to pray some serious prayers and we're going to pray contextually tonight. We're going to be looking at the things that happened to these people. Number one, we realized that the five foolish virgins were without oil. Number two, we discovered that the five wise virgins, they had oil, they had vessels, and they have oil in those vessels, both in the vessels and in their lamps, and they were prepared. Number three, we realized that the other five were not prepared. Number four, or number five, we realized that they all slept and they slumbered. Last week, I talked about hypocrisy. I said we're not of the same level. Praise God. But I want to say something again today. Something different from that. Don't join the crowd if you know you are not okay. <laughs> Amen. Don't be pretentious. Don't join the crowd to try to fit in or to try to... I mean, I'll... Um, you are looking for validation. Let people approve you. Because you don't want them to know or understand that something is wrong with you. So you just want to fit in. Don't join the crowd. If you're not okay, you're not okay. If you're not part of what is going on or you're not on that level, let it be made known. Clearly, I'm not there. Praise God. But the moment you want to please people, you want to fit in, you become a hypocrite. Hallelujah. You'll be doing that which you're conscious of, and then, then, even though you are conscious of it, you know you are not pleased with it. Your conscience won't serve you right. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we'll see that some of them were there, but they were not prepared. Hmm. And it is dangerous to follow the crowd. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus, in this parable, is trying to let us know that we should take advantage of all that is provided for before the coming of the Lord. Because at that time, listen to this now, you don't wait until the coming before you begin to prepare yourself for the coming. No. The future is not tomorrow. Let me shock you now. The future is not tomorrow. The future is always now. You don't wait until, you say, ah, oh, I can't wait for my future. In fact, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait after uh, the next few years I'll begin to prepare for my future. That is part of the future already. The future is always now, not tomorrow. So prepare now. If you prepare now, tomorrow will be okay. But if you're waiting for tomorrow to prepare for tomorrow, it's like you saying, I want to get married, but I'll wait until after I am married or I get married, then I'll be prepared to get married. You're, you're not making any sense. You want to go to, to battle. You want to go fight. You say, I'm not, I'm not going to prepare myself. I'm not going to train and discipline myself now. I'll wait until the time of the battle. In the midst of the battlefield, that is when I'm going to go and prepare myself and train myself and discipline myself and teach myself how to fight. You will lose your life. Praise God. You prepare before the battle. Hallelujah. It is time for us to be alert. It is time for us to be sober, sensitive, be ready. If you look at verse 10, now let's go to that before we pray. I promise we're going to deal with that. Verse 10 says, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went him with him, and they went into the marriage, and the door was shut. Listen to this now. This is very, very dangerous. And I'm going to, I'm going to point out some things to you. The will of God is settled. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. Praise God. The problem that we have today in our churches is that we play God or we play church. Praise God. In other words, many people think that they can dictate the affairs of God, forgetting the fact that the will of God is settled. You cannot control God. God is independently God. Oh, I'm not going to live the life that God wants me to live now. I'll wait in the next two years. Are you, are you sure you're going to live in the next two years? You're going to be alive. Oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to be that committed yet. I'm not ready to take the things of God serious yet. I'll wait until after I turn 60, until after I'm, I'm in my 40s, until after I'm in my 30s. I'm too young for this church, church. I want to enjoy myself and have fun. Do you know whether you're going to live that long? Look at these people. We're not prepared 
The Bible says, at the time they heard the sound, the shout, the cry that the bridegroom is coming, is on his way. That is the time they went out. Listen, that ought to be the time that they should go out to meet with the bridegroom. Because if you look at the verse here, it says, verse 6, it says, And at midnight was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. That was the time to meet with who? The bridegroom. It was not a time to go out in search of oil. Misplacing their priorities. Doing the right thing the wrong time. Praise God. That was... They were actually going for the right thing that they needed, which is oil, but it was the wrong timing. The wrong timing. And what do they need the oil for? To keep the light on so that they could see where they were going. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the Bible says they came back afterwards, but the door was shut. Hallelujah. Because why they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterwards also, the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Which means that they went out there. Maybe they got their oil, the oil that they needed, but it was late. The timing was wrong. Already these people were already in the marriage supper. And the program was already like gone. Everything started off. And they were not there. The ways of God are not the ways of man. I want to just go deeper and deeper and deeper, but we don't have enough time because it's, it's prayer session tonight. These are some of the problems that we face, even in, in the churches, especially to leaders. We want to run the church the way we want to. We want to live the life the way we want to. And in the churches today, what we see is that people want to live the life they want to, the life they choose to, what they feel like, what they assume it's true, what they think, and they don't care or they care less about what the word of God says. And that's a problem. Because listen to this. God will not change his words because of you. He will not break his principle. The Bible says he, in the book of Romans that he had prepared a day in which he will judge the world. Praise God. In the book of Matthew 24, he says he had already prepared a day that the trumpet will sound. So listen to this now. Whether you are prepared or not, that day is coming. God is not going to wait for you. Whether you are prepared or not, even if you are the bishop, bishop, or the bishop's sons or daughters, or oh, God, I've been committed all the years of my life. It's only these few years I just want to just adjust myself, at least take a break. Jesus might come those very same years that you want to take a break. God will not adjust his timing for you. God will not change his plan for you. Praise God. In our churches today, we teach what they call Pentecostal idolatry. People play God. You think you are independent from God's plan and God's will. So you can make your own plan, do your own thing, run the church the way you want to. Oh, the members can live, you can live the life you want to live. It doesn't matter. God understands it well. Oh, it's fine. It's okay. Listen to this. Maybe looking and feeling and, and sort of like comfortable and okay for you. What is okay for you may not be okay with God. What is okay in the world might not be okay with God. What you said is now might not be now. What he said is tomorrow might even be now. The will and the plan of God is uniquely different from yours. The Bible says they went to buy and the bridegroom came. When they went, that's when the bridegroom came. When they went, that's when the bridegroom came. They went, the bridegroom came. They went, I must say it again. They went and then the bridegroom came. What was their intention now? Their intention was good but very late. Their plans were okay now to go. Okay, now we realize ourselves. Yes, we needed oil because our lamps are gone. There is no light. We cannot see. We, cannot, we, we, we will not be able to have a clear sense of direction. We will miss our way because the journey at which we are going, we have to go meet with the Listen, the bridegroom doesn't care about all that because you ought to have done that. And so where they went the wrong... Listen, the wrong timing. They didn't go the wrong way. They went the right way to look for oil. But it was the wrong timing. And when they went out, the master came in. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they that were ready, the Bible says, they went in within. You see that word there? They that were ready. They that were ready. They that were ready. 
How ready are we? How ready are we at this time? Are we ready spiritually? Are we ready in righteousness, in holiness? Are we ready in obedience? Are we ready in love? Are we ready in commitment, in consecration, in purity? Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Last Wednesday, I said there are many believers who love the Lord. They love the prayer. They love the singing, but they are not ready. And I, and I said, if you ask many Christians, if you are, you, do you want the rapture to happen today? They would say, no, 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 no. They are scared about the rapture. They are fearful about the rapture. It's a sign that they are not ready. But a true believer will say, of course, oh, come Lord Jesus. I can't wait. You know, if there's an exam and then the teacher say, can you take the exam now? You know you're not prepared. You say, no, 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 please. Eh, sir, please, can you postpone? Can, can, can you give us another, another uh, time or some other uh, days to prepare? But the one that is prepared, say, yes, yes, I can do mine now. I, I'm just ready for it. Preparation. Preparation. Are we ready? Not only about the coming of the Lord. Look at the situation that is happening in our world today. To many people, it's like a surprise. But to some of us, it's not a surprise because we knew that the scripture said all of these things and they are going to happen. And these are the days now that people are skeptical. People are like fierce and they are troubled. They are worried. Why would you be troubled? If you've been reading your Bible and studying the word and knew all of this were going to happen, you ought to have been prepared by now. So things like what is happening in our world doesn't trouble people like us. Not out of pride and arrogance, but we knew. The Bible says, perilous time shall come. Read Matthew 24. You see all of that there. The worst thing is that when, as soon as the, 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 the five wise entered, the Bible says the time was up. And then the Bible says that the Lord, it says, and the door was shut. The door was shut. Now take note of this deep, deep, deep. I'm going to draw your attention to something. The door was shut. Who shut the door? It was the bridegroom. It was not the five wise virgins. And let me shock you. In the days of Noah, you remember what happened, church? The Bible says when it was time for them to enter into the ark, the Bible says the Lord asked Noah to enter. And Noah did enter, him and his family. They were the last people that entered. In fact, I believe that Noah was the last man. The moment he got in, bam, 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 bam. They saw the door like this going up. Before they knew, bam. There was no lock on the door. There was no key for the door. But who closed the ark? It was God that closed the ark. It was God. Because listen, while the flood began, the rain began, they were crying and pleading. And Noah says, ah. I could have opened this door out of love and compassion. I wanted to do it, but I can't. The Lord has closed it. Listen, when God shut the door before you, trust me, no one will open it. And when God opened the door before you, no man will shut it. The Bible says when he shut, no man closed. When he closed, no man opened it. He's almighty God. He's independently God. Praise God. So at this time, the Bible says, and the door was shut. That is it marks the end. So listen to this now. Your opinion will not be relevant when the door will be shut. Your ideas, your praying, your fasting, your shouting and crying, and all this mysterious thing that you may want to do now. No, no, no. It won't. Listen, if the rapture happens to take place today, no matter who will be praying, who will be fasting, who will be shouting, listen. Nothing else will happen. Nothing else will change God's plan. We will be gone. And those who will be left behind will be left behind. That's the difference. And you know the interesting thing? It is not the pastor's opinion that will make the decision for you to be raptured. It is not by favorism. It is God himself who says that he knows the heart of every man. He is the owner of the church. The Bible says, nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. And having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He is the very one that will come and take the church away. Two major things that you see here again is that the time that the bridegroom was about to show up, these people did not know. The Bible says at midnight. So they were unprepared. And the Bible says in Matthew 24 that the Son of Man will come at a time and on the day that no one know. Praise God. Many will not even be prepared because whatever will be happening at that particular time, people, some people would have even forgotten about the rapture. Praise God. 
And it is God that will select and God that will choose his people out of this earth. I pray that you and I will be among the number in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The door was shut. The door was shut, which means that there was no more time. That was the end of the opportunity. There was no more chance. How I pray that you and I will make use of all the opportunities and all the chances that we have now to pray as much as we can, be holy as much as we can, be faithful as much as we can, be godly as much as we can, be committed and consecrated as much as we can, serve the Lord as much as we can, please him as much as we can, be obedient as much as we can, do his will, soul winning, evangelism, house fellowship, our twitches, do as much as we can, because the time will come, the Bible says, that the door will be shut. In fact, the scripture says that we must walk the walk while it is yet day, for the night cometh when no man shall walk. Praise God. Walk and redeem the time because the days are, the days are evil. In, the, in verse 11 it says, Afterwards came also the other virgins. This foolish now came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Lord, Lord what? Open to us. Praise God. But the most shocking aspect of this at the end, that I wonder, and this will reveal your true identity in the church. See what happened. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Wow. Now look up and look at me. This is dangerous. This means that even from the onset, they were not part of what God was doing. Praise God. Even from the onset, they were not at the will of God. They were not in, the, in, in line with what God's plans were. They were not in the will of God. They were not pleasing God. They were not living for God. So even from the onset, they were not part of God's agenda. This was the reason Jesus... Jesus could not come and say, I know you not if he knew you. If you were part of him, he will not deny you. God forbid, he will not deny his own. He will not reject his own. He will not abandon his own. Remember, he's a loving God, compassionate God, faithful God. So it shows that these people were religious but not godly. That's number one. It shows that they will honor God with their mouth but their hearts were far away from him. That's number two. It shows that even though they will look like Christians, talk like Christians, dress like Christians, but they don't live like Christians. They were hypocritical. Praise God. Hallelujah. They were religious, but not godly. Praise God. They say, oh, we love Jesus. We love Jesus, but they don't know him. They have no personal relationship with him. Praise God. There were several issues, several things that we can use to identify this set of people. So at the end, Jesus says, I didn't know you. I don't know you. Jesus didn't say, I don't know you because they were late. No. Jesus didn't say, I don't know you because they don't, they, they, they don't come on time. Jesus, in fact, didn't say, I don't know you because they don't have oil. Because I believe, looking at the narrative, it may have been that at this time they came with oil. That was how they were able to identify where the marriage was and where the master was because they met with him eventually. But remember, it says, I don't know you, which means that Take note now, this is dangerous. It's dangerous, but it's true. Many people who... God have mercy. Help me. This is dangerous. People will come to church and repent, not because they genuinely, truly love God and want to serve God, right? But they are repenting. Why? Because they said, if you die, you will go to hell. And just because they don't want to go to hell, they repent, but they don't truly love God. These are the set of people. These are the set of people that at the end, they know that they are going to die, but they are still bitter. They still have unforgiveness. They still have a lot of sinful um, 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 foundation, a wrong lifestyle, and yet they will say the sinner's prayer, but deep down in their heart, they have, they have no place for God. They don't love him. They don't care. They said, only if you can allow me to go to heaven. I just want to get there. Just to go to heaven. Now, I said something to one of my brothers several months ago. I think almost about a year. That was uh, last winter. We were talking about holiness. We were talking about righteousness. We were talking about heaven, heaven, heaven. I said, wait, wait, stop. Stop this heaven thing. 
Stop. <laughs> We're on the phone. He's a pastor, one of my junior pastors. I said, this heaven, heaven thing that you're talking about, just listen, let's talk first. Let's talk about the God of the heaven first. Because, trust me, the day God opened my eyes about heaven, I realized that what is much more important is not heaven, but the God about the heaven. The God who owned the heaven. When you look at St. John 14, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he says, where I am, he says, there you may be also. He says, I will come again, and I will take you unto myself. So the purpose of going to heaven is not because of heaven is beautiful. It's not because heaven is a wonderful place. It's not because it's a peaceful place. It's not because, ah, there's no sickness there. That is not the purpose of going to heaven. It's not because you're not going to hell, and you're going to heaven. That is not the purpose. The most important purpose of going to heaven is to be with God. So the very first thing that you should consider first, not even heaven, is your relationship with God. Because if you don't have that relationship with God, you can't go to heaven. Forget about going to heaven. So for me personally, heaven is not my issue. I'm not breaking my head about heaven. I am not worried about heaven. I'm not troubled about heaven. What I am worried about the most is God. What I am troubled about is God. You remember, I think I mentioned something on Wednesday. I said I have a problem. And the problem that I have is not external. But my problem is myself. You remember that? I said my problem. Listen to the, the part one of this message. I said my problem is myself. To make sure that I'm always right with God. My problem is not about shoes, it's not about a car, it's not about a house. And I don't care about those things. I don't care about anything. Money is not my issue. I don't have it, I don't have it. If I have it, I have it. Making name or looking for a platform, those things doesn't bother me. Or having this, having that. No, no. The Bible, in fact, says, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The Bible says, If we then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ seated. Praise God. The Bible says that we must be looking up our hope. In fact, the scripture says, If we have hope only in this life. We are all together as all men miserable. So what is the purpose there? My focus is not centered on things. My focus is not even the heaven. What is important about heaven is the God of the heaven. And I reveal a revelation. I looked at the book of Revelation when I was studying carefully. I realized that everything that has to do with heaven has to do with God. If you look at heaven, the river that is flowing, is flowing from the throne where God sits. The light, the Bible says there is no light there. The light is coming from where? The throne where God sits. Praise God. All the power. In fact, the design of heaven is, 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 is godly centered. Put it that way. It's, the design of heaven is godly centered. The attraction of heaven is godly centered. So, everything about heaven has to do with God, 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 God. Praise God. All the believers, are, they are looking, they are watching on the throne. The focus is who is on that throne. And that is the most important uh, issue about heaven. That is why there is no light there. The only light that is coming is coming from the person that is on the throne, Jehovah God himself. And these are some of the reasons why the churches should change the standard and the doctrine. Because the doctrine that we believe now, listen to this now, is the, the, the doctrines that we are following after may not be biblical. It's superficial. You've been, you've been taught how to get a car, to get this, how to gain that, how to gain material things. So you take that even on to the level of eternity, how to gain heaven. But trust me, if you're a genuine child of God, heaven is not your problem because you know you are heaven bound. Praise God. In fact, the Bible says spiritually we're seated together in heavenly places. So why breaking your head about heaven? If you are a real genuine child of God, your passion is God. God. I've seen Christians who have a lot of passion about going to heaven, but they never had a passion for God. And look what happened now. The bridegroom says, I know you want to enter, but the problem is you never had a relationship with me. There is no oil in there. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the purpose of you getting the oil is not because you were expecting me, actually. The purpose of you getting the oil is because you want to be part of what I'm doing. Physically, in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, many times he rebuked the people. He says, why do you call me Lord, 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 and your heart is far away from me? And he rebuked them at one time. He says, many of you are coming after me, not because you loved me, not because of the word that I preach, but because of the bread that I bless and I give to you. That is why you are coming. Praise God. So what is your purpose of serving God? Is it because you don't want to go to hell? If that is the case, you might eventually find yourself there. What is the purpose of serving God? Is it because you just want to go to heaven? Heaven is my focus. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Listen, I, the day God opened my eyes about heaven, I stopped preaching more about heaven and I start preaching more about God of heaven, the God of heaven. 
Me, if I own a mansion, right, and I know you don't love me, you hate me, you don't care, all that you want to do is to come live in my mansion, I won't tolerate you, you won't come in there. It's just natural, it's just true. How do you want to go to heaven to go be with God when everything in heaven has to do with God, but yet you don't love God, but you want to go to heaven? And these are the reasons why some people will even say repentance prayer and they end up in hell. Why? Because their heart condition is not right. That will not be our case in Jesus' name. So the master, the Bible says that I know you not. I was shocked when I read this. But I thought that they are part of the household. The Bible says they were all virgins. They all have the same ambition, the same vision. They were all expecting to, you, uh, to, 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 to be with you. Jesus says, I know you not. The question that I'm going to ask you tonight is, as we're going to pray, is this. Does the Lord know you? Did God know you personally? God does. God know you. Praise God. Who are you in the church? Who are we? Hallelujah. Verse 13, last verse. It says, watch therefore, for ye know not, or you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So you have a responsibility. And the responsibility that you have is to watch. So we're going to pray tonight. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us, oh God, a heart of understanding, wisdom, knowledge. So that, Lord, we know what is happening at this time. And that we will be watchful. We'll be sensitive. We'll be alert. We'll be careful. And we know what is going on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Ignorant is not an excuse. Many believers are ignorant of the will of God, the timing of God, the season in which we're living in. And as a result, they're lackadaisical, careless about everything. They don't care because they think that we still have enough time. The Lord might surprise you, but that will not be your case. Let's bow our head. We want to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray. We're going to pray.